1: Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com.
2: Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com.
3: very similar sample in the last one which was potassium dihydrogen and phosphate with a sunflower oil addition to it uh, actually had the best storage viabilities throughout the entire experiment and that was up to 45 days of cold storage at about 36 degrees fahrenheit
0: have you ever wanted to store your yeast for more than just a few days of course you have this week on the show We take a look at a poster from the 2020 World Brewing Congress that evaluates various possibilities for long-term yeast storage.
3: Hi, I'm Matt Couch. I'm the brewmaster at Lazarus Brewing Company in Austin, Texas.
0: You wanted to figure out how to do something that most of us have probably wanted to do at some point. What's that? Yeah,
3: I mean, as a a brew pub brewer, we have a lot of yeast strains in-house and we oftentimes don't have a brew to utilize that yeast drain once it's active in. So what we were looking to do was to try and store that yeast for a longer period of time to give us the ability to go ahead and repitch that active yeast further on down the road than is normally standard.
0: Makes sense. There's uh, been about a million times. I wish I could do that. Uh, So, uh, Matt, why don't you talk about what yeast management typically looks like at your brewery? Are you mostly using fresh cultures or are you doing a lot of repitching? Uh, what's going on at Lazarus Brewing? Which by the way, is a pretty fitting name for a brewery that's investigating bringing yeast back from the dead.
3: (laughs) (laughs) There's no better place to do it, I would say. Um, Yeah, we are basically using four standard strains right now, generally an American ale, an English ale, a lager strain, and a Belgian strain, but we work in up to four or five different other strains, maybe at a single time. Uh, And basically, those main four strains, which you generally see in the brewing industry, we repitch... Uh, generation after generation almost up to the maximum we allow them so anywhere from nine generations to 22 generations depending on what it is Uh, so we have a lot of juggling of yeast we're trying to balance everything and make sure it's still healthy viable and ready to ferment all the time which is very challenging
0: all right talk about how you set up this experiment
3: So basically what we did was we collected uh, slurry from an active fermentation uh, once that was reaching terminal and uh, stored that slurry in about 500 milliliter samples. So we could get a more diverse sample set and measured the viability initially and started to do some yeast trials or storage trials on that where we were adding different media to those samples
0: give us the why. Walk us through why you chose each treatment uh, that you chose for these individual trials.
3: So i had done a lot of digging into what has been done before in research into the storage of yeast slurries and just the health of yeast over a long period of times in general. Uh, and we got a little, few tips and tricks from uh, other sources uh, from various places that there was a couple different ways of doing this. And one was just Feeding the wort, which is kind of a practice I picked up in my uh, early years of brewing, where you just give it, uh, give yeast slurry a little bit of wort to keep it going. Uh, One was actually diluting it with distilled water to kind of help put it into a much safer environment, so to speak. And then there are a few other ones like potassium dihydrogen phosphate was used previously in the industry. It's basically uh, kind of like a fertilizer in a sense for plants. Uh, And then the oil uh, portion was something that we had picked up from more recent research in understanding that yeast does actually uptake and utilize uh, fatty acids from vegetable oils, which was pretty interesting.
0: Okay, and you did this separately for two different strains, right? Correct. Do you want to tell us which these, uh, which, uh, what these strains were? The which strains you studied here, or is that top secret? No, not at all. Um,
3: so we basically used the most accessible ale strain, American ale strain, out there, which of course is Chico, um, and then we also used our Munich Lager strain, which is from Van Schiffen, uh as well. That's our standard Lager house strain.
0: All right. Great. Now, you used ASBC Yeast 3, which is the methylene blue method. Talk about why you chose that method for assessing viability. Yeah,
3: there's a lot of options out there for viability, and there's a lot of controversy over what's better than others. But um, in point of fact, really, the most commonly used version of testing for viability is the methyl- methylene blue staining. So we wanted to make sure these results fit in with what's most widely used or most common.
0: Matt, as I say this, I'm totally second-guessing myself, but isn't methylene blue reported to only be accurate for pretty high viabilities, or am I making that up? No,
3: that's absolutely true. I mean, generally, the sliding scale of accuracy on this does diminish as you get into lower viability ranges. So some of the numbers we were seeing whenever we got into lower viabilities started to plummet and bounce around a lot. So you see a good bit of variation throughout these experiments. So we did them multiple times just to kind of verify that these levels were about where we expected them to be.
0: Makes sense. So you had some noise in there, but generally speaking, it showed the, oh, the showed you the big picture good enough to, to understand what's going on here.
3: Correct. Yeah, looking really for the trends, John, not necessarily uh, outliers in this sense. So trying to look at where things were going as a general versus some specifics threw us off and there's some oddities in that research that you'll see in the data.
0: Now, your poster mentioned something about decanting some of the samples uh, and some not, which I didn't quite follow. Talk about that.
3: Yeah, so when we first started uh, these samples, the original experiment uh, back in 2019, uh, early 2019, we were pouring the uh, leftover beer off of the yeast slurry to just kind of uh, get a very solid, thick yeast slurry that we could actually measure there. But as we went through the process, we started to understand that that may not be possible for brewers to accomplish in much bigger scales. So uh, the second round of these trials, which we were doing five or six samples each time over and over again, were done without decanting, as we saw that as a little
0: bit of a limitation for uh, real practice. And were those numbers similar or were they very different?
3: They did stay very similar. Oddly enough, we did not see a large variation between the two data sets there. And the data kind of got uh, melted together as well to try and specify these were uh, not decanted and these were decanted. But we didn't see enough variation to not bring those together as a trend.
0: Okay, let's hear about the results. What happened with the yeast trials? So yeast
3: showed um, some pretty good resistance, especially in the early period. Uh, basically, we saw a few diminishing in viability trends there. Uh, basically, when we were looking at just stored as the control, it actually stayed relatively stable up until about day 10. And that's pretty true across the board for all the samples. Um, the feed feedwort sample was also pretty consistent. We saw some dips right away in our distilled water sample, which was a little bit odd and confusing at first, but then it seemed to kind of uh, ease up. Later, as we're talking day 15, day 30 of storage. And in the sample with potassium dihydrogen phosphate as a kind of a buffer solution, we saw an originally low viability or lower. We saw a rise in viability and then it kind of just tapered off. Uh, However, a very similar sample in the last one, which was potassium dihydrogen phosphate with a sunflower oil addition to it uh, actually had the best storage viabilities throughout the entire experiment. And that was up to 45 days of cold storage at about 36 degrees Fahrenheit.
0: And it looks like you were just under 80% at that, length, at that point in time, right?
3: Yeah, correct. It literally got down to about 77% on day 45. Whereas the other trials were way, way down. We're talking 40%, 20%, 5%. So a very big difference there. But we did some, see some CO2 production in that sample, in particular,ly uh, that was interesting for having been stored.
0: I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas.
1: Additional support provided by
2: BSG is partnering with Leopold Brothers to bring a new line of small batch handmade malts to brewers and distillers. Leopold Brothers is a family-owned floor malting operation and distillery and 2020 James Beard Award finalist located in Denver, Colorado. Since brothers Scott and Todd Leopold first opened their doors in 1999, they have created everything from classic unfiltered lagers to a number of spirits, including a wide array of whiskey styles. Learn more about the upcoming Malt line by going online to bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact BSG at 1-800-374-2739. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation live streams data from your active fermentations, allowing you to remotely track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Try it free for 30 days. Visit precisionfermentation.com mbaa. And thanks also to Christian Hansen,
0: suppliers of frozen liquid yeast. You've probably heard of or even attended one of the famous two-week courses that Master Brewers puts on each year in Madison. Well, those classes will be all virtual this year, which means you can now get the same education without spending money to travel and while taking advantage of 45% off course tuition. The Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins October 11th, and the Brewing and Malting Science course starts October 25th. Check the show notes for direct links to learn more. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Eastern Canada has a webinar October 27th. District Western Canada has a webinar October 29th. Don't miss the Master Brewers webinar, Classifying the Unknown, Identifying Organisms with Affordable Genetic Sequencing, November 10th. District Northwest meets virtually November 13th. District Georgia meets November 17th at Bold Monk Brewing Company. District St. Louis has a virtual meeting November 19th. District St. Paul, Minneapolis, meets November 19th. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you.
2: And if you're still not a Master Brewers member, listen up. Master Brewers Association of the Americas offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Keep current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers today. Use discount code BEER20 to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2020. Master Brewers, United We Brew.
0: Now back to the show. That's pretty interesting. So it looks like that that um, FedWirt, um, uh, trial did pretty good for that. And that you know, if you're just storing it for 10 days or whatever, that performed the best. But if you're um, talking about over the long haul, um, then that second. Um, trial with the with the uh, phosphate buffer solution as well as the oil is, is definitely outperform everything head and shoulders, right?
3: Yeah, correct. I would say if you're pretty safe with feeding ward, it seems like at least the ale strains that we saw uh, at about 10 days, then you start to see that decline. If you're looking for something that uh, I wouldn't recommend pitching 45 days stored but uh, is potentially viable at that stage, then the oil and the the uh, dihydrogen phosphate seems to be the best
0: option, if that's the case. All right, great. Now let's hear about the results for the lager strain, which were actually pretty different, right?
3: Yeah, very different there. I mean, in general, um, we had kind of run with the assumption that lager yeast was going to have better cold storage viabilities as a whole, uh, just because of its ability to temperate the lower uh, temperatures in general. But uh, what we saw was basically the control did extremely well, surprisingly well, up 30 days into the experiment, uh, the Fedwort actually did worse than the control, honestly. It actually tapered off pretty quickly. Uh, once you were past basically even day five, we started to see a consistent drop there. And then uh, basically, the distilled water sample that we had stayed pretty high and tight for about 10 days and then started to diminish, albeit at a little bit slower of a rate. And the dihydrogen phosphate sample did very, very well. Uh, And that is with no oil added. And then to kind of follow up then with the sunflower oil added to that solution, it actually did maybe slightly better, but very similar. There wasn't much difference between those two. So, lager yeast responded to that uh, potassium dihydrogen phosphate the best, honestly, out of all
0: of them. You reported an increase in viability across the board on day five for lager yeast. What's that all about?
3: That is an oddity that we're still trying to figure out. And this is something we've seen over all of the experiments uh, for lager yeast, especially we see an increase basically at day five across the board every time. And it's, we haven't quite figured that one out. It stands out every time and we're still trying to wrap our heads around what's going on there. But Basically it was almost at 100% viability for all those samples at day 5 albeit the control was you know 96% but that's pitchable yeast right there so it seems to be hitting its prime basically at day 5 in storage oddly enough
0: Generally speaking, the phosphate buffer solution appears to have been more beneficial for the Lager strain. Uh, anything you want to talk? Anything you want to mention about that?
3: Yeah, it's interesting when you look at, at sort of the relationship of uh, yeast and what it does with phosphates and potassium uh, and its actual ability to metabolize different nutrients whenever it's in storage or even in fermentation. And those those ions can actually act as nutrient for yeast. So. Oddly enough, it would be basically when you add potassium dihydrogen phosphate as a uh, storage solution, you're providing nutrient for that yeast. So it seems like that is what's happening. Uh, We're seeing some good results between the two for both, albeit, you know, maybe with some more added nutrient is the key here that we're actually seeing that is another step we need to take this kind of experimentation in the future.
0: Were you surprised that the wort-fed lager samples didn't perform better? I was, yeah. I was under
3: the assumption that uh, providing those samples would uh, provide extra nutrient to help maintain storage health. Uh, However... There's a possibility here because we weren't really deaerating the wort that the yeast was going back into fermentation, even at 36 degrees, getting started and then having to stop basically over and over again. So what we may have seen in those diminished results was the act of fermentation coming back. Uh, and the yeast coming back into fermentation. But then by the time we get to checking them for the viabilities, they're done and stressed out over and over and over again. And that's a theory, no real uh, ability to say that's definitely what's happening. But we did some, see some CO2 production in that sample and particularly uh, that was interesting for having been stored.
0: Just a quick clarification on the fed wort samples. How was the wort prepared? Was it clear or cloudy?
3: It was cloudy. We were uh, basically taking that wort direct from the heat exchanger at a sterile sample point into sterile uh, glassware and then pouring that back into the sample at each measurement interval one day beforehand.
0: So this was just wort off of a normal brew?
3: Correct, yeah. But trying to, trying to time it in a way where when we were brewing, we were shooting for something that was a little bit lower gravity. I mean, we're talking ideally what we were shooting for was about 13 Play-Doh at most.
0: Okay. I just bring that up because we talked about how um, turbid wort has a higher concentration of fatty acids back on episode 97, and I was going to suggest that it might be interesting to find out whether or not wort turbidity has any impact in this scenario. <music> I guess I'd like to hear about um, what's next as well as uh, whether or not these trials led to any process changes for you at Lazarus Brewing.
3: Yeah, so what's, as far as what's next for the experimentation, uh, we would like to delve into getting a little bit more diversity in our yeast strains. Start working with our House Belgian strain as well to see if these results hold. In that realm, uh, we also have had some issues when using some souring ale strains of their long-term viability just in general that we are looking to utilize some of these methods for to see if we can get some longer cereal repitching from that. Um, we have a brewery down the road who's very interested because they are 100% sour beer brewery uh, that has been kind of checking in on this to see what kind of progress we're making. And we'd like to branch out to see if uh, we can take yeast strains that are Put into extremely harsh conditions and actually revitalize those yeasts or better prepare them for fermentations in the future uh, with some of these storage media. So hoping to go in that direction uh, here in the near future. We were planned on doing it before the release of this data, but uh, COVID had some other plans for us.
0: I hear that. Um, Speaking of that, I went on your website this morning to try to get a handle on what the brewery was like so I could make some guesses about how it functions and how you might be managing yeast. And I noticed something really cool that's totally unrelated to this topic, but very relevant to a discussion I recently moderated during the WBC main stage COVID-19 panel. Tell us about the patron saint
3: glass. (laughs) Yeah, the, uh, the patron saint glass is basically, we had uh, customers when we first open, invest basically a thousand dollars to get this glass. And what they get out of it is a free beer and or coffee every day for the rest of their life. Um, So, We have some guys who have definitely made their money back on that investment and more at this point. And uh, it's been a a great way of bringing consumers or our standard patrons back in over and over again. It's definitely been curved that they haven't been able to drink out of their special glass uh, for a few months now. But we're getting back to the stage where we are finally able to do it much more responsibly and safely. So they're starting to see them return slowly but surely.
0: That's really cool. We could never get away with anything like that in Virginia. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit more about the glass itself, though, because it's, this is not just your ordinary beer glass, right?
3: No, not at all. We actually have a, uh, a glass blower in San Diego uh, who is hand-blowing every glass individually. So you get to see the variation in each glass. It's, it's got a kind of twisted tulip top fluted with some ridge lines and some very uh, nice artistic handles to it over a bulb stem with a nice cut bottom uh really really beautiful piece of artwork and also drinkware. and that gold embroidery or gold stamp that we have on of the logo and the rim really makes it stand out so it's worth checking out going to the website and getting a little view of it we do sell them uh again occasionally we usually re-release some at christmas time so if you're interested keep an eye out
0: and so, in I, uh, I may have gotten this wrong, but I gathered that you did bring some some out more recently as part of you know efforts to sort of sustain operations during COVID. Is, did I get that right or no?
3: Yes, correct. Yeah, uh, basically, John, we did a, a re-release of about fifty more we had handmade just for COVID at this point. And once we were a few weeks in, and uh, they are all purchased at this point. So it was a huge help to help keep us alive when we were just able to do beer to go only, that was a huge boost from our supporters, which was great.
0: That's awesome. That's a creative way to to solve that problem. So um, I thought it was worth mentioning. And I'll put some links to um, some of the references uh, that you mentioned in your poster, as well as to the poster itself, um, which you've now presented as part of the 2020 WBC Connect. So um, thanks for doing that.
3: Yeah, no problem. That, uh, some of those articles are kind of dug into the Master Brewers technical quarterlies that are really, really interesting stuff that people have played around with and really enjoyed digging them back up.
0: That was Matt Couch here on the Master Brewers podcast. Check out the show notes for a link to Matt's WBC poster, as well as the other references I just mentioned. And if you're not already a Master Brewers member, Stay tuned for another link you should check out. I joined District Mid-Atlantic back when it was dominated by large breweries, and I was often one of the only craft brewers in attendance. I'm so glad I joined. That membership has been incredibly impactful to my career, and I've made so many lifelong friends from those meetings. If you're not already a member, I highly encourage you to join. And there's no time like the present because new members can use the promo code BEER20 or the link in the show notes to save 20% on dues if you register before the end of the year. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt. BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.